Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. It'd be good to be in the house. Pastor Billy, thank you so much. Such a kind man. I love his heart always. So kind. I think it was five years ago that we were here with you, the summer of 2018. We had a group of young people that we had taken on a kind of a Holy Ghost hippie trip, uh, preaching the gospel all across uh, the, the southern states up into Denver, Colorado. And man, got good reports. I, I was thinking as that was some of, the, some of the young people we had with us. Now, these were all primarily high school age and uh, married in ministry. One of the couples, that one, they weren't even couples at the time, they were here with us. They're, they're ministering at a church up in Denver, Colorado now. Uh, others are, are preaching the Word of God. And so out of that group that came through, we're just seeing tremendous things that are happening. I just believe in, in getting a generation and keeping a generation sustainable and reproducible over time. So a good report for those that came and ministered in the summer of 2018. And uh, God, is, God is on the move and God is doing good. Folks, we've been really in a season uh, there in the city of New Orleans um, for the lack of a better term, and I don't know if there is a better term for it, but really a season of, of really genuine revival. Now, a lot of times we think of revival as something that is kind of scheduled out. I don't, I don't see revival like that. I don't believe revival is something that's scheduled. I believe that it's something prepared for. It's prepared for. Um, after I turned 50 years old, I got into, I used to run a lot, but I never ran competitively. But after I turned 50, I said, I want to I uh, run some 5Ks. And so, I would prepare, and I'd run these 5Ks, and it was interesting. My level of preparation always determined my level of victory on the day that I ran the race. I knew if I had not prepared adequately for that race, that I really didn't have a lot of uh, expectation. I just kind of chalked one in, and I just, I just ran a time, and I, just to finish, and you know, get the bib, and, and go home, and I'd be finished. But if I put the preparation in, Ahead of time, if I ran the stairs and I did the stretching and I did my cardio and I ran my intervals, I had an expectation for that. And folks, a lot of times when we come into the presence of God, I don't believe we do the work of preparation that we should. And so for myself, I praise God for the influences that I've had in my life. I, I, say, I say something all the time. Whatever has access to your life has influence in your life. And whatever has influence in your life will produce an action in your life, which will always determine the outcome of your life. I'll say that again. Whatever has access has influence. Whatever has influence, right, produces an action, and that action will always produce an outcome. And so for me, I've always allowed certain uh, deliberate influences to come up in my life. I was talking to my, uh, one of my cousins, Wiley J. Tao in the back. His, uh, his uh, older brother was my pastor for many years and, and, and mentored me. And I told him, I said, one of the things interesting to this day, you know, at the church, we just recently planted another church in the New Orleans area called the Harvest Center. And one of the things, every, every morning, the, the, the doors are open at 5.30 a.m. for prayer. We pray every morning. That's a, that's a staple of our work. Well, that happened because 35, 37 years ago, I'll call it now, 37 years ago, as just a young man just getting married, I would get up with my pastor, and we'd go to the church, and we'd pray from 5 to 7 a.m. every single day. So that, that, that access into my life influenced me to make 
Prayer is something that was really crucial in everything that I did. Other people in my life, from leadership to, to evangelism to, to pastoral ministry, I've been very deliberate on that preparation. God, I want you to prepare me because I want to be effective in whatever I do. And so it's just like running any type of race that we are. God, what am I going to do with regard to preparation? And so we love to come and we gather and we, 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 we meet together at 1030. The, uh, uh, Pastor Oliver kicks it off, starts the worship team, and we're here. But what's the preparation that we're doing in advance of those things? Folks, this is the time we really come and celebrate all the things that God's done during the week. This isn't the time that we come and say, okay, pastor, preacher, guest speaker, come and fix me and all these type of things. This is when we literally should come and the testimony of our life is saying, let me just come and tell you what's been happening throughout the week. Man, thank you so much for depositing something in me uh, last Sunday, Pastor, because I tell you what, I needed that on Monday when I went to work. I needed that on Tuesday when I dropped the kids off for school. I needed something, so a work of preparation. And so we've been seeing a tremendous, tremendous work of, of really outpouring and revival happening in our midst. Now, folks, it's interesting. You think back in kind of the history of revival. You can think back the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. You can think about uh, different things that have happened a number of years ago back in the 90s, the Brownsville Revival right there in Pensacola, Florida, and all these things that have happened. And, and you wonder what the aftermath of those things are. And what it is, most recently I'm up on a college campus there in Kentucky, there was a revival. People said, is that a real revival? Well, I don't know. I didn't run up there. You know, it said that young people were getting together on a college campus and they were praying and seeking God. Well, if that's what they needed revived, I call it a revival. Now, if you're in a church and there's a lot of marriages struggling and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes and begins to restore relationships and marriages are healthy, that's what I call a revival. If your kids are in rebellion and suddenly something happens and, man, God begins to make them, I call that a revival. If I'm out in front of 30,000 people on a Bourbon Street preaching the gospel and one little person, amen, comes up the street and says, listen, I've been looking for an answer and I, I believe tonight that Jesus left the 99 and came unto the one, amen, and all the presence of the angels in heaven, they're rejoicing, I call that revival too. And so the question is, is what type of work of preparation are we doing in those areas that we need revived? See, what you may need to revive may not what I need to be revived. What I need may not be what you need. But I believe that every single day we wake up in the morning, we say, God, I want you to search me, oh God. I want you to know my heart. I want you to try me. See if there's any wicked way inside of me. See if there's any deficiency. God, is there a blind spot that it's just so easy for me to ignore? What's an area of my life, Lord God, that I need to examine myself to see whether or not I've been the faith. I need my faith to be strong, Lord God, because I know that I live in a day and there is my salvation than when I first believed. So I believe that we're in that type of place. I don't believe it's just relegated to what's happening in New Orleans. I believe it's right here in Amarillo, Texas and anywhere that the people of God would just dare gather. But thinking about something, you know, my dad, 90 years old. You know, people always ask me, said, well, how's your dad? He's old. <laughs> I mean, if you'd asked me that 35, 40, 50 years ago, I'd say, well, that dad's working all the time. Now they say, well, how's your dad? Well, he's old, you know. <laughs> and he's dad, you know. And so I think about his life and the fact that he's 90 years old. Now, I tease people all the time. I said, you know what? I'm closer to 60 than I, a lot closer to 60 than I am to 50 anymore, knocking on that door. But I think, I, I say, tell people all the time, I, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to live to be 145 years old. <laughs> so you're going to laugh until y'all's all dead and I'm the only one still alive at 145. <laughs> Just to torment the devil. Now, chances are, now, at one time, my dad and I, 
he, he had a construction business. We hung drywall together. And I'd be on the other side of the, the, the sawhorse, and we looked eye to eye to one another. Now, he's just a little old bitty fella. He is, I'm, I'm like my dad. I'm like, Dad, where's the rest of you? You used to be like right here. Well, Dad's old. And so at 145, I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably look like Zoe. My, my niece, all this, me and Zoe, I'll be looking out. She'll probably be looking up at, uh, down at me at that point at 145. But I just want to stay in the fight. You hear me? That's what it's all about, staying in the fight. I want to be that person. I tell people all the time, I never want to be the guy that used to do something. I never want to be the person that used to pray. I never want to be the person that, that used to preach the gospel. I never want to be the person that, that, that used to love people or feed the hungry. I never want to be the, the, the person that, 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 that used to evangelize. I, ne- I never want to be that, that so-called has-been. I want to do as much as I can with as much as I have right now. Do you hear me? But what's funny, when I started pastoring all those many years ago in my early 20s, I, I went into a church here locally, and I, I thought to myself, my, my wife and I in our early 20s, we think, man, this is a bunch of old people. But I look back, those old people were younger than I am now. <laughs> now, I'm the old people. But staying in that fight, I want to be that person that stays engaged in the fight and in that battle. I want to be that person. Because I think to myself now, after over 30, 33 years of, of pastoral uh, ministry, I've actually got more to offer now than I ever have. More to offer now. How many of you believe that the glory of the latter house can be greater than that of the former? Now, it may not play out the same. It, it may not have the, 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 the same catalyst behind it, but it's going to have, this, it's going to have a, a deeper impact on people's lives. And so don't ever think to yourself, listen, because I'm a little older, listen, you've got something to offer now that you didn't have before. It's funny, when I was in my, my mid-20s uh, preaching and pastoring, you know what, I, I thought I had a lot to say. Well, now that I'm at my age, I'm re- listen, I didn't have a whole lot to say. I had, I had some enthusiasm, I had some desire, I had some, some zeal for the Lord. But I didn't have the experience. Now, 20 years later, having left Amarillo and, and 20 grandchildren later and, you know, nearly, uh, you know, 37 years of marriage and all these things, you know, I've been through some experiences. I've seen some things. Having preached around the world and seen God do some amazing things, I, I've got a few things to tell some people if they want to hear it because I stayed in the fight. Now, folks, I don't expect people to do what I do. I, I don't. I really don't. I do what I do because that's my assignment. I went to the city of New Orleans in, in 2003 because there was a Macedonian call for me. He said, the, the city calling me, come and help me. I'm gonna, I, I, I need you to help. And so I just answer my call. But every single one of us, we need to do as much as we can with as much as God has given and deposited in us. I do what I do because of where I'm at and the assignment that God has given me. But every single one of us need to say, God, how can I be faithful over those things that you've entrusted me to? What is that, that realm of influence? What's that scope? What's that reach that you've put into my life that I need to be faithful? Your, your faithfulness may just be, I just need to be observant. If I go to the United Supermarket and that kid's bagging my grocery, God, I need to be sensitive to your spirit. Look, God, I need to see it like you saw it so that I can do it like you did it. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes at that kid's house. But, God, I want a voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to me just like if I was standing behind a pulpit or on a, on a street corner proclaiming the gospel. Lord, God, what about that person that I work with that I, I noticed their demeanor's just a little bit changed or that, that phone call that I normally get from a friend that it didn't pick that. I need to be sensitive to whatever it is, that assignment that you gave. Maybe you're just having lunch one day and you look across the thing and somebody's there by themselves. And Man, maybe I just need to go over and say, 
say, hey, listen, you don't know me. This is weird. But hey, would you like to come and join our party and have lunch with us today? We just never know what that is. And so when you kind of live out there, you know, I preach on a bourbon street. I take teams into New York cities and, and all these. And, that, and that's all great. But you know what I found out in all these years, Pastor? It's just people. It's just people. You know, people say, man, he's a street preacher. Well, I've never led a street to Jesus. <laughs> Tried as hard as I may, but man, I tell you what, Bourbon Street is still Bourbon Street. I'm a people preacher. So whether they're standing in Bourbon Street and in about three weeks we'll be in Gatlinburg, the Smoky Mountains, and I tell you what, people are there. It's beautiful there. They're nice people. But you know what? They're the exact same people. They're just in a different type of environment. Folks, it's the same way, whether it's Amarillo, Texas, or Houston, wherever it may be, it's people that God has called us to, and he just wants us to stay engaged in the fight. Folks, something I've been thinking about, thinking about my, my dad and just his longevity and the things that, that we've gone through, you know, moving to Texas as, as, a, as a little boy. My dad, mom and dad uh, were raised here in Texas, went out to California in the 60s and uh, spent the first, I think, seven, eight years of my life out there in California, coming back here and just looking at the history and the things that have happened in, in our lives in our family and in my dad's life, the things that they've gone through, the, the close calls with death and these things. And so he sits here at 90 years old, which is a testimony because I know what he's been through. I know the things, but he always stayed in the fight. Okay. He always stayed in that battle. He's always pressing in. He never, he never gave up. And so, you know, for me, that's something I adopted. People say, man, you're just optimistic. No, I just trust Jesus. You know, what's the worst case scenario for me? I die. Well, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord of the death of his saints. It's not like all those things. We, I want to be in the presence of the Lord, but we're fighting against those type of things. So, God, I just want to be faithful until that day. But one of the things I've been thinking about is we're living in an hour where the cross of Calvary is under such attack. You know, you don't even have to turn on the news. You know, I don't even like watching the news. It's the bad news. There's nothing. It's just one, one party or one group of people combating one another. And it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's all of us that suffer. And nobody from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has ever knocked on my door and said, hey, what do you think about this? They just don't do it. But the cross of Calvary, I believe, is so much under attack. And I believe that the enemy understands that that message associated with the cross of Christ is because it's the singular event in human history that served to remedy everything in our life. Every single thing. I don't need a self-help group, amen. I don't need eight weeks of counseling. I don't need to find me a psychiatrist, amen. I just need to come back to the place of the cross of Calvary. But something has happened, I believe, in generations. We've forgotten, amen, the simplicity of the message of the cross, and we've looked to every single thing else. And so when man transgressed through uh, the, the righteous of God through disobedience, the word declares in Romans chapter 5 this, it says, because of one man's sin, Adam, obviously, that death reigned and brought death upon all, but because of one man's righteousness, his sacrifice, Jesus, upon the cross of Calvary, we were all given the opportunity to receive the grace and the righteousness that the finished work of the cross has provided for us. Folks, listen, the cross literally changed everything. Do you hear me? It literally changed everything. The cross, amen, changed my marriage. The cross changed the way I raised children, amen. The, the, the cross changed my worship. The cross changed, amen, my, my, my relationship with, with God. The, the, the cross changed my work ethic. Folks, listen, the cross of Calvary changes every single thing that, is, that, that we make ourselves available to Christ Jesus through. 
So folks, listen, if the cross isn't changing you, somehow along the line you've come off the cross and you're saving yourself. You're looking to another source. You're looking to another answer, another remedy. And, and thinking about how many of you have a past? How many of you have a past? Now, folks, I'm going to be real honest with you. At nearly 57 years old, there's only three years of my life that I wish I could get back. Any regret? Three years. It was age 15, age 16, and age 17. That's it. I have a past. And you know what? I think about that. I think about the things and the compromises that I made to please other people or to somehow fit in at 15, 16, and 17. Now, 40-plus years removed from those years, how can I? So every single one of us have a past, and you think about those decisions that we made in the past. Well, because I've got friends that I knew at 15, 16, and 17 that never made it to 18. And I think back now, having kids and grandkids that, that are that age, you know, what if I would have been thinking forward rather than just bound up by the moment at that time? What difference could I have made in somebody's eternity rather than trying to please the nature of my flesh now? But folks, listen, some of you may think to yourself, listen, man, I wish I could just get back the last five years of my life. It may not date back 40 plus years like mine. Or God, is there some, some years that I could do that because it's the past. How many of you... Have, have aspects of your past that you're just not very proud of. Probably every single one of us can point to an event or decision that we made. Thinking about a couple of other things, and this is what we call the lanyap. That's what we call Louisiana. Lanyap just means a little something extra, amen? Something I've been pondering and thinking about. You know, a couple places in the, in the New Testament, both instances are in Luke, and one of them is repeated in, 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 the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark as well, that Jesus tells us, mentions two women in regards to remembering them. And one of the things that he said, you, you remember he's talking about the end times, and he says, remember Lot's wife. Now, do you remember how good of a cook old Lot's wife was? Man, she was highly noted in her family. Man, she was such a great homemaker. Man, this lady could sew. She fixed things up. Man, she could make an apple pie like nobody else. And folks, you don't know anything about her, her home life, do you? The only thing you know about Lot's wife is what? She looked back. Remember Lot's wife. Why? Because she looked back. I don't know a single thing about her. I don't know what she looked like. I don't know what she talked like. I don't know what she believed in. All I know is Lot's wife is constantly remembered. She looked back. Now, there's another instance, two, two different encounters. Some people think they're the same person. Some people think it's Mary of Bethany, and some people think it's Mary of Bethany and, and Mary Magdalene where the woman went in with the alabaster box and broke it and anointed Jesus' feet. And they began to complain. Well, she, she wasted all of that. But in, in, in the Luke account, it says there was a woman that had an immoral past. She was an immoral woman. And he said, but listen, every time that the gospel is preached, people are going to remember that woman. And so we got, remember Lot's wife who looked back, but let's re also remember this Mary who didn't look back. She didn't allow her past, amen, to dictate who she was at that moment. 
She said, listen, I may have been an immoral woman. I may have made some bad mistakes. I may have done a lot of things that, that paid for this, this expensive perfume. But you know what? Today, I'm going to bust those things open. I'm going to pour that past out upon his feet. And I'm going to offer an offering, amen, to the one that's the one that has sealed my future by obliterating my past. Isaiah chapter 43 tells us something. You know, you get these life messages and these words that God gives you. But one of the things he gave me in my early 20s when I started pastoring, remember not the former things. Don't even consider the things of old. Behold, I shall do a new thing. Shall you not know it? He said, I'll make a pathway in the wilderness. I'll make a river in the desert. I'm going to do something. But the only way that happens is if I don't remember the past. I don't, want to, I don't want to remember it in the sense that I, that I hold it in some type of nostalgia. Oh, those things that might have been. Or, man, it was so much better. They say all the time, the older you get, the better you were. <laughs> oh, man, I ran this touchdown. 99 yards. Actually, you didn't. Actually, you stumbled across the line on a fumble recovery, and it's like half of a yard. But hey, if, you, if it makes you feel better. The older you get, the better you were. And so I don't want to ever look back at my past with some nostalgia, but you know what? I do want to look back in my past and say, listen, I never want to have another 15, 16, or 17. I don't want to have a 60, 61, 62. I don't want to have any year that I look back and say, listen, I didn't answer the call. I didn't stay in the fight. When kings go out to war, I I didn't want to find myself somewhere I didn't need to be. I want to be faithful to the cause of, of Christ Jesus. But one of the most vital aspects of the Word of God, and I believe the primary responsibility to those that, 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 that God has called into the ministry, and we see it in Ephesians chapter 411. You could turn there if you'd like. We folks call it the, the fivefold ministry. And, you know, you think about it, he's given some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do what? To do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To also to build up the body of Christ. And folks, listen, this isn't something that's, we talk about build up. It's funny, you, you talk to, to pastors, you've probably had this pastor. Well, how many are you running? People ask you that. You know, I, I want to go into a pastoral meeting and, and a pastor come up to me and say, Brother, listen, i got a question for you. I don't want to know how successful you are. I want to know how significant. I want to know about your marriage. I want to know if I pulled your wife off to the side, what she's going to say about your prayer life when nobody else is around. That's what I want to know about. I, I, I want to know about, listen, do you, do you wait to worship until you get to church? That's what I want to know about you, preacher. I, I want to know about your attitude when, when you go into a restaurant. Are you just all up in arms and, 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 and you're mad at the waitress because you're not doing Or are you the servant of all? See, I want those type of questions asked of me. I don't want somebody to ask, oh, how many are you running or where'd you preach it? I want somebody to really explore the condition of my heart. And so when we look at it, it's not an issue when he says to build up the body of Christ. It's not an issue of quantity in relationship to building, but quality in relationship to building up. Because, folks, listen, we can fill a house up with people. Amen. That's not hard. Just compromise your message a little bit more. Offer a bunch of freebies. Maybe have a raffle for a flat screen TV every once in a while. Give plenty of candy to the kids. You can fill a house up. But what you'll end up with is a bunch of high-maintenance, low-impact converts rather than a bunch of high-impact people, amen, that fear nothing but Jesus, amen, desire nothing but see his kingdom filled. And so our, 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 our mandate is not a quantity, but it is a quality. Now, folks, we planted another church there in New Orleans back in, in, mid, uh, in mid-January. Now, 
God has really just been pouring out. We've seen tremendous growth. We've literally seen people pack up from halfway across the country that saw what God was doing there and move their whole families to be a part of the work. I mean, so we're seeing a a significant uh, uh, move of revival happening there. But you know what? The the telltale signs for me that God's doing something, it's not 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. It's 90% of the people doing 90% of the work, and the other 10% of the people are simply in the process of getting equipped to help do the other 10%. And so people are actively engaged in the work of the ministry. Amen, it may not always look the same. It may not always be the the same people, amen, that that are out on a bourbon street. Some people just can't do that. Some people just aren't going to stay up until those hours. Some people can't be on their feet. But I tell you what, they can, they can go into the, the Winhoven, the 10-story uh, Winhoven and, and take meals to the, to, the, to the elderly with us on Wednesday. They can go into the, the Terrytown area where we, we, we minister to children on a, on a Thursday afternoon. They can go right outside of our property right there on a, on a, on a, on a Tuesday afternoon and, and open air preach to the, the, the passers-by that are coming and leaving their work. They can go into the, the jail ministry that we do on a, on, a, on a Sunday night and minister to kids at the, at the youth detention that will never get out of prison. So there's always something for somebody to do. They can cook a meal. They can love somebody. They can be a part of the prayer team. And so... They're doing something. They may not be doing the same thing, but they're all doing something. So our job is to build up the body of Christ. And so when it talks about that term, it literally means to offer constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person to be the suitable dwelling place of God or a place where the Lord Jesus is at home. Folks, the Word of God tells me that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? See, folks, it's, it's always good to preach in Pentecostal churches because I don't have to change it up and say Holy Spirit just to not spook people out. I can, I can, talk, to, I can talk about the Holy Ghost. I, I can talk about uh, speaking in tongues. Amen. We're, we're still speaking in tongues here at this AG church, aren't we? Amen. We still do that. I'm kind of like Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 14. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Amen. That's, that's who I am. That's my heritage. That's the, the default position. And when I look in, 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 in the scripture, amen, the, the first church wasn't, sadly, it wasn't a Baptist church. It wasn't a Methodist church. God help us, it wasn't a Catholic church, amen. It was a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, holiness church, amen. That's our default position. So if, if I go back to a factory reset, amen, you hear me? If I clear out all those weird apps that I've downloaded onto my phone that have slowed everything down, I'm thinking to myself, man, why won't my phone work? Well, look at all that junk you've downloaded. You've got everything from Twitter to Snapchat to everything else taking up your communications. Clear the cache, amen. And when we do that, what happens? We begin to run more efficiently. So I'm a saved, sanctified, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost, feel devil casting out, lay hands on the sick person in, 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 in my relationship with Jesus. That's my default position. And so I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to clear the cash, amen. We need to create a place that's suitable for the dwelling place of God, amen. I love to worship the Lord, amen. I really do. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, people talk about who they were. I mean, I don't really have that testimony. I'll, I'll be real frank with you. Now, I grew up right on the north side and always around a bunch of stuff, graduated from Palo High School, all these things happening. And so I had plenty of opportunities, but I got a confession to make. I've never been high one time. Never been high. Well, I saw what it did to my friends. I saw what it did to my brothers. Amen. <laughs> hate to throw y'all under the proverbial bus today. <laughs> Thank y'all for showing me that example. Amen. And I thought to myself, if it did that to them, man, I don't want none of that. Amen. 
Now, I did enough other things, amen, rebellious type of things that, that violated the, the, those things in Christ Jesus. So, but, so I don't have a claim to fame that, because I was never really that cool or that tough. My, my claim to fame, here's how tough I was. I was a high school cheerleader at Valley High School. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Yo, man, don't mess with me. I'm going to radio K here. So, I mean, come on. Either that or you have to be real tough to be a cheerleader on the north side, at least back in those days. Now I don't know what's happening over here. But I want to be a suitable place for his dwelling, not based upon who I was, but based upon who he is. I want to be that place where I stand before him one day. He says, well done, my good and my faithful servant, enter into your rest. Because I tell you what, folks, listen, he's not going to make a liar out of himself on the day of judgment and say, well done, when you've never done it well and you've never been faithful. Do you hear me? He's coming back for church without spot or blemish. He's not looking for a side chick relationship from you. Do you hear me? He's not looking just for somebody you call up when you need a fix or you need a weekend or, or, you, or you need somebody to intervene for you. He's not looking for some spiritual tender date. Amen. He's looking for a church without spot or blemish, somebody that's pure and holy and righteous that he can dwell inside of us. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost and if the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if you defile that temple, if you're not a suitable dwelling place, it says God will destroy you because God's temple is holy. Whose temple are you? What kind of dwelling place have you provided for him? And so it literally means to offer that constructive criticism. That's our, our job is, is that five-fold ministry to, to place that place. And so it's to produce a unity in the faith. And folks, listen, that's a unanimity. It's a harmony that produces a unity established upon sharing the like nature of Christ Jesus through faith in, 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 the, in the finished work of the cross. Listen, we're family here. Amen. We're fam Now listen, I've got a tub load of family in the Amarillo area. You know, do one of those 23andMe's and, and the, the, somewhere along the line, you're probably going to have your branch laid across one of our family men. We, we really are. But I didn't know you was your cousin. People all over. But folks, listen, our heritage is through Christ Jesus. That's what our family is. It's not because we have the, 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 the same logo on our, our T-shirts. It's not because we, we belong to the, the, the right affiliation. Our unity is in Christ Jesus. That's who we are as family. You're my brother and you're my sister. When you hurt, you know what? I may live 925 miles away, but I hurt with you. I may not know why I'm hurting, but there's something hurting inside of me because, man, my, 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 my brother pastor here in Amarillo, something's going on. I don't even know what it is, but, God, I want to be sensitive enough to that portion of my body that when something is lacking, that, man, I feel a grieving inside of me. I don't want to think, okay, what's happening to me? Maybe it don't have anything to do with you at all. Maybe it's somebody else that you've never laid eyes on that God is saying, listen, pray in preparation for a time of visitation for them. Somebody's got to intercede for them. But folks, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got so inwardly focused, amen, we're focused on our address, we're focused on our ministry, we're focused on what we're doing, that it becomes difficult to build up the body of Christ. Listen, I need you. You may never step foot in the place that I minister, but I need you, and I hope that you need me. You need me to pray. You need me to believe. You need me to encourage, just like I need you to do the same thing for me. And so, folks, when we're in the ministry together as the body of Christ, there's a unanimity. There's a, there's a likeness in that. And it's also to, to teach that a thorough understanding of who God's Son is would be known. Amen. Did he say, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of religion? He didn't say that, did he? He said, I want you to come to a place of repentance. I want you to change 
the way that you think. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. Folks, I know how you think if I hang around you. You hear me? I'll know how you think because that's who you'll be. Out of the abundance of your heart, you're going to speak and you're, you're going to bear witness by the fruit of your life. Those things that you're passionate about, those things that you're deliberate about, those things that you're committed to. Amen. It's not just going to be something that you check the box uh, uh, periodically about, that you get, you, one day you got dipped in the requisite amount of water and you prayed the right prayer and you've just kind of moved on. But you're setting your face like a flint. You're, you're not looking behind. You're not looking to the left or to the right. You're allowing God. So I, I know what's inside of you by the, the, the characteristics that come out of your life, just like you do mine. And so our job is to teach people to know who Jesus is because without faith in the finished work of the cross, it is impossible to please him. Why? Because those that come to him have got to believe that he is. He's what? He is who he said he is. He did what he said he was going to do, and he's going to come back just like he said he's going to come back. And so I've got to believe he said he was, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. It's also to build or to mature believers who reflect the nature and the character of Christ. And so, folks, if we, if we as, as, as those of another generation are responsible for the generation that's coming up behind us, and we're really investing in their life, how do we know when we succeeded? How do we know? Well, he tells us. Our job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Folks, now listen, there's really only one ministry. It's not San Jacinto Assembly of God. It's not Raven Ministry. There's one ministry. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. It's reconciling, reconciling people unto God. Now, you may do it through children's ministry. You may do it through women's ministry. You may do it through benevolence or helps. But the end goal is always the same. I'm, I'm bringing people back to a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. That's our, our job. So whatever platform that God has afforded me, even my, my end game, my motivation is, God, how can I bring people back to a relationship with Jesus, to a place of fidelity, to a place of holiness, to a place of righteousness, some place of sustainability and reproduction over time. That's our job is to teach people and to bring them to that place and so they'll be mature believers, that they're effective in everything that God has called them to do so that we'll not be what verse 14 of Ephesians 4 says, no longer immature like children, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every new teaching. So we'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Have you ever noticed the best lie is the one that sounds enough like the truth? Isn't that the one that works? It's not something so outlandish that you'd immediately reject it, but it's that stuff that's seasoned with just enough truth that you think to yourself, well, maybe that's just not too far off. And so these are the things that are the most difficult and the most seldom demonstrated principles that we really see in our spirit-filled churches. We, we really, across the board, as somebody that, that's preached across this nation, that's where we've, we've come up short. And so let's just all own it. We as the body of Christ at large, that's where we failed. We failed, amen, to bring the church of the Lord Jesus Christ into a place of maturity. Why do I say that? Because they can still put drag queens in front of little old kids in a library. Whose fault is that? Don't say it's because of who somebody elected. Folks, that's our fault. Why is there still, in many places, abortion on demand, slaughtering kids right up to the... Folks, listen, we can say, well, the Supreme Court didn't rule until just recently. Folks, that's our fault. We failed somewhere along the line. Why is it so easy, amen, for people to go to hell in a handbasket and for fentanyl and all these things to cross over? Well, they haven't closed our borders. 
Folks, we haven't closed the borders of our heart and our lives, and somewhere along the line, the people of God, amen, thought voting was more important than praying, amen. We thought that somehow that there was going to be a Savior sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't care if his name is Donald Trump or Joe Biden or, or, or Richard Nixon or, or, or Lyndon John, whoever it may be, going all the way back. But the one that sits upon the throne is called Jesus Christ, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and to it shall be no end. Folks, that's the answer. But folks, somewhere along the line, we, let's just call it, we drop the ball. And we're not looking, amen, for nine justices sitting in the Supreme Court. But he says, do you not know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that one day you'll judge angels? Can't you stand in judgment? Can't you make a stand in this day and age for some principles, amen, that you'll stand for and you'll go to the bitter end proclaiming the name of Jesus, amen, rather than slipping back saying, well, maybe in another election cycle? Folks, I got some news for you. It is that cycle, amen. It's the cycle of praying and believing, amen, and and, and pulling down strongholds. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 28 years ago, still pastoring here, got invited to the city of New Orleans. Had never been there, never had a reason to be there, pastor. Went to the city of of New Orleans and took a team. There was nine of us there, my wife and I and, and seven other folks. Went in to, to, to preach the gospel on Bourbon Street, a quarter of a million people from Canal Street to, to St. Anne. You walk out there and start preaching the gospel, they would literally want to tear you to pieces. Literally want to tear you to pieces. So we would just back off and go to a Jackson Square or, or maybe Royal Street. But folks, I got some news for you. 20 years ago, we said enough is enough. Amen. This ain't no more five days in February where we're taking some mission team and we go in there and we give free hugs and and Jesus loves you and here's a bottle of water and hopefully you'll get yourself wet or something. Amen. We dug in and we put our heels into the ground and we said, God, we're going to begin to pull down strongholds. You hear me? Now, I set up now at the 500 block of Bourbon Street, whether I'm in town or not, there's a team out there preaching the gospel. We, we, we stopped taking little tiny PAs. I take a generator out there, set it smack dab in the middle of the street, amen. I took two, two uh, 15-inch high-powered speakers. I propped them up, kicking about 120 decibels in two, uh, two directions, and I preached the gospel unimpeded, amen, by that crowd. 30,000 people will pass me by on a Friday or Saturday night that if they had the power and the capacity and authority, they could tear me to pieces. Amen. 30,000 people, there's three police officers assigned to Bourbon Street. They couldn't do anything about it. But, folks, i got some news for you. Greater is he that's inside of me than he's in the world. And over 20 years, amen, every place that the sole of my foot has tread upon, I, I, it, it's ours to take. When they arrested me in 2014, amen, for preaching the gospel out there, I get a telephone call. I didn't get it from, from, uh, from Jay Seculo. The president's attorney didn't call me up and say, man, I can't believe they're doing Christians like that. I didn't get it from the Rutherford Institute. They didn't say, I can't believe they're infringing. I didn't get it from, you know who called me up? The ACLU called me up. Said, listen, we heard you got arrested on, on Bourbon Street. And I said, yeah, I did. They said, listen, do you have representation? I said, well, no. I said, please let me represent you. I said, who is this? He said, this is the ACLU. I said, wait. He said, I know what you're going to say. He said, I know what you're going to say. I said, you're right. You may not know all I'm going to say, but you probably know a little bit of what I'm saying. He said, listen, I, I understand it. He said, but I'm a free speech guy. And he said, please. He said, let me represent. You tell me what you want. And he said, I guarantee you I will deliver it. He, tell me, he said, tell me exactly what you want. And he said, by the end of this evening, he said, I will have a temporary restraining order against the, the city of New Orleans. He said, I'll have it against the police chief and anybody else necessary on a federal bench, and they will not be able to touch you. 
Folks, isn't it crazy, amen, that all these Christian people didn't have that confidence, but the ACLU did? And you know what they did? They delivered. I went right back out there after they told me they'd arrest me again, and the police were avoiding me like the plague. <laughs> Ten years later, you would think that I was a part of the police force. I've got, it's like private security detail. They don't say anything about me. Folks, listen, why is that? Because the willingness to take a stand in the midst of opposition and say, you know what, you can arrest me, and you're going to have to do it every single weekend because I'm going to keep on showing up to the scene. What's your stand? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. It said instead they're going to do things that suit their own desires. They're going to gather around them people, teachers having itching ears, people telling them what they want to hear. Folks, here's the sad reality is that a great majority of professing Christians are simply not interested in knowing sound doctrinal truth. I'm just going to be real honest with you. Not the case here, not, not the case in my church, but... For the most part, most Christians are not that concerned with strong doctrinal truth. They think that ignorance is bliss. I'd just rather not know. But folks, listen, that's fulfillment of prophecy. The time's going to come when men will not endure. They'll not even have the stomach for sound biblical teaching. And the reason is that they, it will not only challenge you, but it's meant to change you. Folks, that's what the truth is made for. It's made not just to challenge you, but to change you. One of the things we do with our young people there at the training center, we have a, an internship where we, uh, young people come in that want to learn leadership and missions and training. And one of the things that we do is we have this thing called the 90-day challenge, okay? Every 90 days, we read through the scripture from cover to cover. Now, I've been doing that for years. I do it all the time. This is one of the Bibles. I, I get a new Bible. This Bible's already been uh, promised to somebody after this month, and it's one of my grandchildren, Hopi. So I'm going to finish this, this 90-day challenge up, and I'm going to deposit that in her hands. And so she'll have this Bible. I'll pick up another one over the course of this year, and I'll put it in somebody else's hand. The reason is that is because we want that word of God to be in their hearts. That's right. We do. Word in, word out, garbage in, garbage out. And so we want them to take that word and hide it in their hearts so they will not sin against him. And so I want them to know the truth. I want them to be built upon the precepts of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, listen, you don't just accidentally stumble into that stuff. Paul told Timothy, he said, study to show yourself approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. If all you get is what you get on a Sunday morning or a Sunday school or a Wednesday night, folks, you're failing. As good as it is, you're failing. Folks, you've got to be a person that says, Pastor, I'm just coming for you to give me a little salt lick. I just want you to whet my appetite. I just want you to cause me to want to go home and, and be like the Bereans who were more noble than the Thessalonians. They received the word gladly, but they went and searched the scripture to see if those things were, were so. Folks, that's what we got to do. But the large part, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, come and just spoon feed me just a little bit and get me through the week. But folks, that's been the failure. That's why our culture has captivated the church, and the church looks more like the world than the world being influenced by the church. Yes. Yes. It's also because of this, there's a great demand, really, for the services of hirelings rather than shepherds. And so they're largely driven by that success model that we talk about. How many of you running, folks? Listen, I've run more people off than I ever ran in. Let's <laughs> be real honest with you. But folks, our job is to introduce people to the Christ and to build them up in the maturity of the faith. Style has totally taken over over substance. 
experience and passion have usurped truth and principles. Folks, listen, we are Pentecostal people. I get, I'm, listen, I get excited about Jesus. I don't I apologize for it. Man, I do. I, I just start thinking about getting excited, and I get more excited. I love to worship the Lord and, and dance and shout and do all the speaking tongues. I, I love that type of thing. But, folks, not at the expense of principle and truth. Do you hear me? I don't want to. I don't, don't want to substitute some experience, amen, for truth, because we can all be fooled by experiences. Can we not? Folks, I don't care who you are, what you know, what you've been through. Folks, every one of us are subject to somehow along the lines being manipulated by a thought, being manipulated by a circumstance, being manipulated by a relationship, being manipulated by something that we've got to always come back and let the Word of God be that litmus test. Okay, listen, I know how I feel. I know what I think. I remember that dream. But let me go and filter that thing through the Word of God. But somewhere along the line, amen, we've got to the point where we're saying, listen, man, I like my experiences better than I like that truth. And so the result has been a church at large being more performance than power. More performance than power. First Thessalonians 1 and 5 says, our gospel came not in word only, but in power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. What spirit? The Holy Spirit. Folks, the Spirit of God is holy, and if the Holy Spirit is inside of us, it's going to produce holiness inside of us. With the demonstrate the Holy Spirit with much assurance that you might know what manner of men that we are for your sake. That's where we're going to be able to benefit you. We're going to benefit you not by our performance, but by our holiness. Amen. Folks, we're a peculiar people. And it's not because we're weird. It's because we believe in walking in righteousness. It's just weird. Man, you really don't curse? You really don't socially drink. You really don't vape or whatever they're doing nowadays. You, 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 you really don't look at pornography. You really don't want to watch R-rated movies. You really don't want to pay 15 bucks for somebody to drop God's name in vain and, and you applaud at the end of your popcorn-filled evening with your spouse. You, you really don't want to do that? Yeah, I just can't do that. The Holy Ghost is inside of me. He's holy, and I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want something inside of me who's the person of the Holy Spirit to subject that to that. Yes, Folks, we complain about parents taking their kids to a drag show to see grown men dressed as women flaunt themselves, but we take the Holy Ghost to these spiritual drag shows and we think that it's okay. You know what I'm saying? So it's okay for you to drop 15 bucks at the the UA Cinema, to hear somebody take God's name in vain, and you sit there and eat your popcorn, and you say, well, it's entertainment. But you say, I can't believe these people would let their kids be subject to that. He's saying, I can't you believe you would let my kid be subject to that. And folks, the world wonders why the church is powerless. Why? Because we fill ourselves with hypocrisy. How many of you this morning would say that you're more concerned with the power of God than the performance of your pastor. I hope every one of you. Amen. Not pastor come and perform for me, but pastor introduce me to the power of the Holy Ghost. And I, I believe that if you ask most people that, most people are going to say, yeah, I want the power of God over that. If that's the case, then why has the church of the Lord Jesus Christ become so captivated by performers and call it the power rather than what the scripture calls the power of God? Folks, you know how I know that somebody's walking in the power of God? It produces an obedience to the Word of God. 
Many will come to him in that day, Matthew chapter 7, and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not have a great deliverance ministry in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not demonstrate those things that people call the power of God? And he said, depart from me. I never was intimate with you. I never knew you. So isn't it interesting that we call the power of God the things that he doesn't, those things that are highly esteemed among men? He said that they're an abomination unto him. Now, folks, listen, we're Pentecostal people. I believe in casting devils out of people, lost people. Now, if you're into the whole casting devils out of Christian people, folks, you just need to get them better saved, I guess. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I believe in, 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 in prophetic gifts. I believe in everything that's outlined right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I believe in the working of miracles. I, I've seen enough of them. But not at the expense, amen, of my relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know a tree by its gifts. You know a tree by its fruit that it produces, the character of Christ Jesus in your life. All of those other things can be manipulated. All those things can be masqueraded. That's why he said, you do these things in my name. Well, let's back up a few verses. He said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom, but those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Folks, they said they're doing it in his name because they weren't willing to walk according to his will. The will of God, he said, is your sanctification. That's the sanctification that he desires. He tells us in his word, he said, through one sacrifice, back to the message of the cross, he's perfected forever those that are sanctified. John chapter 17, verse 17, he says, Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. If I know the truth, what does the truth do? It makes me walk in freedom. I walk in freedom, not the freedom to sin, but the freedom to walk in holiness towards the things of God. Folks, my my question is this morning, what are we going to do? Not what somebody else is going to do. Now, when I say we, I don't mean we, but I mean we. What are we going to do? Tanya, what are we going to do? You know, Jacob, what are, what are, what are we going to do? Not what are we going to tell somebody else that they need to do, but sis, what are we going to do? You, you know what I'm saying? Because nobody else may do anything. But if, if we're just the we, what are we going to do? Because, folks, listen, I tell you what, we, whether it's just us three, I mean, we can make an impact. It may not be a, an impact, amen, that gets the headlines or everybody's tweeting about, but heaven is going to pay attention to those things. What are, what are we going to do? Because we can we, we can't, Pastor Oliver, brother, we, we can do something. Amen, I tell you what, we can do something. Folks, we can stand in the way. Charles Spurgeon said, listen, if sinners be damned, he said, at least let them leap the hell over our bodies. He said, let them go with our arms around their knees. He said, let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. What can, what can we do? Folks, I get to testimony. People come by me all the time. They say, listen, preaching on a Bourbon Street, thousands of people, is this doing any good? I tell them, well, October 30th, 2011 at 8.30 p.m. I was out there with not Sunday night of all times. I'm never on Bourbon Street on a Sunday night. I'm usually preaching at our church or something of that nature, doing discipleship. All of a sudden, 8.30 p.m., a young lady comes up the street, starts talking to one of our ministers out there, and she says, listen, I'm tired of this life I'm living. What do I do? They led her over beside a place right there at the 500 block where I preached on that exact spot for at least 13 years. Took her to the side. I looked over there. This young lady, obviously wearing questionable clothing, all these things that you would associate with that environment. 
But the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Pastor, and he said, that's your daughter. That's your daughter. Now, the, the impact of that to me, I've got a, Mel and I got a biological daughter, Kayla, who's like my hero. Kayla's now going to be 33, four kids, married. I mean, I think I spanked her one time. And she really needed that one. I mean, she really did. She, matter of fact, I need to go home and spank her again for what she did then. One time. But I want to be her when I grow up. Okay? I say that because Kayla had been married about six months up to that point. Her and Joshua got married. Kayla, the model child, all these things. God spoke that to me. We took this young lady to our house. Found out her name was Kelsey. That night, Kelsey had came out of a strip club because she had been sex trafficked. When she was 18 years old, she was 20 at this time, her mother had sent her to the city of New Orleans from North Carolina to, because she had an eating disorder and put her in a mental hospital to see if they could deal with it. And she was raped in the mental hospital by a 50-year-old mental patient. She wasn't there on anything else, so she didn't, she didn't stick around. She just ran. She just took off. Ends up in the French Quarter. A lady comes to her and says, you, don't, you look out of place here. I want to help you. And she helped her, all right? She was a, she, she was a madam. She put her into a, a house of prostitution and prostituted her. She got hooked on drugs, and all of these horrendous things in life happened to her. Then Jesus happened that night. We took her home that night, and we set her down and said, Kelsey, listen, we've got two things to offer you, and neither one of them is a program. We've got a family, and we've got Jesus, and we want you to be a part of those. At 21 years old, we adopted her. She took our name. She's married now got three children, leads worship in a church there right outside of New Orleans. Now listen, to some people that may seem insignificant, but I'm thinking, God, you know what? She was the antithesis of who Kayla was. Same age, two months difference, and she was a person that had given her life totally over those things in this world. She was the, 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 the person that made all the bad decisions. But on that night, somebody was in the way. Somebody did something, and it was just, will you go home and be a part of our family? See, folks, I could have told her, listen, young lady, here's you a sandwich. Or young lady, I'll pray for you. Or young lady, you know what, let me give you the number maybe to a drug rehab center. I could have did that. But I wouldn't be sharing this testimony here in 2023. That might have helped her. That might have worked. But, see, that wasn't what she needed. She needed more than that. Folks, how is it that the Jesus that came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin gave his life completely for us upon the cross of Calvary, despised, rejected by his own people, beaten and abused beyond recognition. He had no form or comeliness that he should be desired is what Isaiah said. Gave everything, but somehow we just want to give him the scraps off of our table. And we think that he's so desperate for followers that all he needs is a few one-night stands, that he just needs a few scraps. And we have the audacity to believe that he's going to say, well done. When he gave everything, And we've so compartmentalized our relationship with him 
that we think that he should be satisfied with just a little. So that kid didn't need just a little of us that night. That kid needed a lot from us. And you know what? It, it took a lot. Man, it took countless hours of praying over her, battling, you know, the, 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 literally the hounds of hell that had come for that kid and, and all of those things. I mean, it was a long fight and a long battle in that process. She needed more than just scraps. And folks, the Lord Jesus wants more from our lives than just our scraps. He wants every bit of us because he gave every bit for us upon the cross. Amen. Galatians 2.20 says this, and I'll close. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified. I've identified with what he did. Now, I don't have the scars on my hands. I don't have the, the scar on my side, or I never had the crown of thorns pressed up on my head. But I feel it. I feel what he did for me. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in a good way. I, I, I know that my Redeemer lives. Because I know who I was and I know what he did. And I know that because I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm a brand new person and all the old things are passed away. And everything become brand new. I don't have to look back like Lot's wife. That I've got a testimony of remembrance. Amen. Like the woman with the alabaster box. I can look forward into those things of God because of what he did. Folks, every single one of us find ourselves at one of those places. Either the woman that's willing to break open that which represented her past and say, God, I'm going to spill it out and I'm done with it. It's not going to be reclaimed. Or we're going to be like the other woman. The only thing we remember about her is that she looked back. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live but it's no longer I that live. I don't have to hold on to anything anymore because it's Christ Jesus who lives inside of me and the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My testimony is now. It's not how bad I was. It's how good he is. That's my testimony. It's not how bad I was, but it's how good that he is. God is good and his mercy endures forever. Are you a testimony of the goodness of God? Amen. Are you a testimony of the goodness of God? Amen. Pastor, can I pray for these folks this morning? Can we stand to our feet? Father, all over this room today, Lord God, Father, you're still the great reconciler, Lord God. Father, every single one of us, Lord God, have something in a, in a box like that woman did, Lord God. Something that, for whatever reason, it's valuable. It's the value because of time. It's the value because of memories. It's the value because of those things, Lord God. Father, we've held on to, we've compartmentalized things so much, Lord God. We've made every excuse in the world. But, Lord God, we don't want to crack that box, Lord God. We don't want to crack it open and spill it out because we may not be able to reclaim those excuses anymore. We may not be able to reclaim our passivity or our fears or unbelief anymore. But Father, I believe, Lord God, that you're preparing, Lord God, like I said, you're preparing your bride, Lord God, for a time of visitation, Lord God. You are, Lord God, whether it's corporately, Lord God, or whether it's privately, Lord God, you're preparing your bride for a time of personal visitation. 
So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, over this body this morning, Lord God. Father, every single one of us, Lord God, may have been different, come from different places, Lord God, different circumstances, different challenges. Lord God, different things filling up that alabaster box of ours, Lord God, that we've held true. But, Lord God, you told us not to lay up treasure for ourselves here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But you said lay it up in heaven where those things don't happen because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Lord God, we want a heart after you, Lord God. We want to treasure you. You said you've put your treasure in earthen vessels, Lord God. You've desired to pour out your treasure, Lord God, into us. And Lord God, we want to value that, Lord God, today. So Father, I do, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, that we gather in this house, Lord God, today. And Father, I'm asking you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, because you're so good and you're so kind, Lord God. You said that you're your goodness that brings us to repentance. It's not our sin, Lord God. It's so you're so good that you never want to leave us into a place of compromise. You never want to leave us into a place, Lord God, of destruction. Father, in those first three chapters of the book of the Revelation, that unveiling of Christ, Lord God, we see you in the midst, Lord Jesus, of the seven golden candlesticks, in the midst of the church. By Revelation chapter three, you're on the outside looking in. But you said, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking. I want back in. There's places that you've closed the door to that I want back in. There's areas of your life that you've, you've, you've locked me out of, but I, I, I want back in. And he said, if you'll open that door, I'll come in and I'll sup with you and you with me. There's a restoration that's coming. There's a healing of memories. There's a healing of looking back. There's a healing of the nostalgia of what was that brings about a willingness to crack open that box and to pour those things out at Jesus' feet. That way that every time the gospel is preached, people remember that moment. You'll remember that moment. Heaven will remember that moment.